This series gives you a direct line to the pinnacle traders. We're covering everything from when the odds are initially posted to looking at how the market might react. This is the opening line. Week 10 in the NFL is fast approaching, so it's time to take a deeper dive into each of the matchups. As always, I'm joined by Adam Chernoff to run through the games and take a closer look at the numbers. Hello, Adam. Hey, Ben. Week 10. Let's get into it. Are you set? You good to go for the week? I am already. It's actually turned out to be a pretty busy week, so we've got some stuff to talk about. Glad to hear it. So our, our first game is the Buffalo Bills at the Cleveland Browns, and the market's still where it opened with the handicap. The Browns are minus two and a half after touching minus two. They're now edging closer to the three, but obviously it's going to take some some late money to get them there, it looks like. Uh, a point has come off the over-under, and it's now four and a half, so not so many points expected in this one. We've got the Bills getting closer to the playoffs, and it seems that all hope of, of postseason football is, is pretty much evaporated for the Browns. The internet obviously had some fun with a, a dejected-looking Baker Mayfield this week, but do you think there's any reason to be positive about the Browns going into this game? I wouldn't say that all playoff hope is lost. I think that it's certainly... The Browns are becoming the easy target for a lot of the people within the news and the media, as you mentioned, and I, I wouldn't go that far. Their schedule... Uh, if you're just looking at the end of the season, they get the Bengals twice. They get the Dolphins. Uh, they obviously get the Bills here. So th- there's four games that would take them uh, within striking range of that sixth wildcard spot in the AFC, which is looking pretty wide open at the moment. So I wouldn't write them out yet. And from this point spread perspective, uh, it's an awfully interesting number. And I think it says a lot about what the market thinks about the Buffalo Bills. If you look at the vanity metrics sort of of the Buffalo Bills from the outside looking in, uh, you see a team that's really set to take that fifth wildcard spot in the AFC, and they're two and a half point underdogs on the road at the Cleveland Browns, who just have two wins this season. So really reflective of the market not necessarily buying into the Buffalo Bills. Uh, And I think we're getting a little bit of recency bias to an extent here as well. Um, Certainly, there's been a lot of interest within the market for taking Buffalo with these points. But we look at what they did against the Washington Redskins, a 24-9 victory. Then last week, we saw the Cleveland Browns run uh, more than 30 plays extra in comparison to the Denver Broncos. And they ended up putting forth a pretty embarrassing performance overall. So uh, really difficult for a lot of folks to make the case for the Cleveland Browns. But I'm pretty happy to go ahead and put minus three into my account at even money. I think the key thing to note is if you're looking at two and a half versus three even money uh, in terms of American odds, you want to get right around minus 122 on the two and a half. And that's getting really specific. But uh, if for some strange reason you're not playing at Pinnacle um, and you happen to have different accounts, I know this is a pretty key number in terms of three worth about 10%. So we'll see a lot of uh, sort of extra pricing that they'll tend to gouge you on. So really look for three, even money. But just schematically, this is a game where it seemed like when we talked on Sunday evening with the Look Ahead podcast that there was a lot of negativity within the Browns locker room. That, in a weird way, has turned into a bit of a positive in the way that Baker Mayfield's now come out, said that this is going to be the game for Odell Beckham Jr. He's going to quote, force feed him the football 
Uh, and I think it's deservingly so. Uh, he was open a number of times against Chris Harris, had a ton of opportunity, and he's just been misutilized for much of the week. There was some doubt put into the mind about Freddie Kitchens and his play calling. But this is really a game that the Buffalo the Buffalo Bills are going to have a difficult time stopping the Cleveland Browns. And I think it's a case where the Browns really can't screw up the game plan. The last team that the Buffalo Bills have played that ranked inside the top 15 for rushing efficiency was against the Philadelphia Eagles. I butchered that efficiency word here early on Thursday morning. Uh, but Cleveland, you look at them, one of the more efficient ground games in the NFL back-to-back weeks where Chubb has had a lot of success. I think that's the key to Cleveland continuing to find yardage on the ground. And this number could look pretty short come Sunday. Uh, I think it's a pretty comfortable win for Cleveland, which is a pretty bold statement to make after what we've seen so far this season. Odell Beckham's got me wearing regulation cleats if Mayfield's force-feeding him the ball, I guess. <laughs> he can he can probably go out there and bare feet and find space against his Buffalo Bills secondary, which a little bit overrated to say the least. <laughs> well, on a serious note, I think we kind of talked a couple of weeks ago, you talked about the Browns' price kind of bottoming out um, and you're kind of saying there that playoff hope isn't isn't completely gone just yet. What what do we need to see from them to kind of justify a, a case to be made for them to make it to the postseason? Do you think? Well, I mean, if we're just looking at what they did last week against the the Broncos, and we can even go back to that game against the Patriots, they outgained the Patriots in yards per play. Uh, they put forth a fantastic effort against New England. There was obviously three key turnovers there that ended up costing them the game last week. They went into Denver, uh, notoriously a difficult spot to play. Again, despite losing, outgained the Broncos, uh, put together very good numbers on yards per play, and they ended up running 73 total plays in comparison to just 43 of the Broncos. So it was really just a case of a couple big plays for the Broncos uh, working out against this Browns defense. So they're extremely close, and a win here against Buffalo really, again, puts them in position for that number six wildcard team or wildcard spot in the AFC, considering the teams that they play the rest of the way. So I certainly don't think all hope is lost. But as you mentioned, from a pricing standpoint, uh, they're way at the bottom. So this is this is definitely a spot where if we see what we've seen the last two weeks, I think they can get a pretty comfortable victory here. So we'll move on to the Arizona Cardinals at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And this was one of our, our big early movers on that, that early week podcast. Tampa Bay went from minus six to minus four and a half within a couple of hours of the numbers hitting the board. Not too much importance in terms of the numbers, but it's, it's still interesting to see. And we obviously had that big total to start with at 54. It seems to have settled lower down at 52, which is still obviously a pretty pretty hefty number. It was... A big week for Kyler Murray last week. His confidence seems to be building. He's he's up against a below-average pass defense in Tampa Bay. Maybe another chance to get some big plays and score points, but clearly it's not all about going forward, and the Cardinals need to work on that defense if they're to have a chance of winning this one. I'm, I'm sure you'll be able to shed some more light on and give some more detailed analysis on the numbers, but is there hope for the Cardinals here? Should, should betters be looking towards that over-under, or is it just a stay away? So... From do the Cardinals have any hope? I think that from a pricing standpoint, the Buccaneers should not really be laying points against uh, a team like Arizona and specifically laying six or even four and a half. Uh, that's probably a big number. Uh, looking at like three and a half, four would have probably been a better opener, in my opinion. So if you're able to get Arizona at like a six or five and a half, you're sitting on a very good ticket at four and a half. It's it's probably a much more reasonable range for this price to be in. 
Um, so I think that that move was well justified. And again, if you have that Cardinals ticket from early in the week, uh, that's a that's a good one to have in your account from the total. Uh, I personally took the under very early, and early moves this season have uh, not necessarily turned out to be the best uh, result late in the week. And what's interesting is compared to uh, some bigger positions taken on Wednesday and Thursday, and that tends to be when the limits are bumped up uh, at different sports books and the injury reports become available. Uh, a lot of those moves that we've seen happen on Wednesday and Thursday have been a bit of a true reflection to how the game ultimately plays out. So as you mentioned, 54 at open down to the key number of 51, which is the high range of key numbers within totals. Uh, and now it's moved back up to 52 and it's really reading more like a 52 and a half, uh, quite shaded to the over. So that move on Wednesday and Thursday, really kind of the one that's standing out here, but just some reasoning behind why I was looking to the under from just a price comparison standpoint, Arizona and Tampa Bay, they're passing offenses, both 20th or worse in passing success rate offense. If we put this in comparison against the Falcons and the Saints, that, their total opened at 51. We'll talk about that in a second. Those two offenses rank top five in terms of passing efficiency. So we're seeing two considerably worse passing attacks against two considerably worse defenses. But this total was a full three points higher than two of the most efficient passing attacks playing each other in Atlanta and New Orleans. From, so from just a comparison standpoint, really high number. Uh, a reason behind the big number was both of these defenses quite aggressive in their approach. They like to bring extra men in the rush. Tampa Bay blitzes more than any other team in the NFL. Arizona not far behind them. Uh, both of these secondaries pretty weak overall, suffering some injuries too. Uh, but there was an interesting report that came out of Tampa Bay. All of the defensive backs were forced to play man coverage against Russell Wilson and the Seahawks, which is extremely unusual for this scheme in Tampa Bay. Uh, and they were all reported to be in very bad shape after the game. So it's been a slow week of practice, to say the least, for this Tampa Bay secondary. And if they go and put forth any sort of similar effort, then they become quite vulnerable to quarterback runs. If we're seeing this as sort of a tendency continue within their defensive play calling. Uh, the one spot where man coverage is really vulnerable is to those quarterback runs, which is exactly what Kyler Murray likes to do. Uh, the reason I was really sort of on the under here is both of these teams finding a lot of success running the football, specifically Arizona. They're going up against the number one rush defense of Tampa Bay, by far and away the number one front seven in the NFL. And that's really been validated against a difficult schedule. So I look at this as a spot where Arizona likely to have a lot of issues moving the football on the ground, which will force them to be a bit of a different team than what we've seen in the weeks past. They're extremely good at uh, coming back in a negative game state. That's where they gained much of their yards through the air. So if this point spread does play out with Tampa Bay holding a, a small lead for the majority of the game, uh, it sets up pretty well for Arizona to find success through the air. But if this is a competitive game within one score either way, uh, I think it ultimately settles somewhere in the low low 50s, high 40s, and this total proves to be just a touch high. And now we've got the New York Giants at the New York Jets. Clearly highlight game of the week. Um, we asked you on the, the earlier pod when we didn't have this one on the board what you thought the numbers would be, and you were, you were pretty much spot on with it, to be fair. Our traders have got it at minus two and a half from the Giants. The over-under was half a point shy of your 44 
uh, estimate. It looks to be heading up from the 43.5 that it's currently on, though. Um, you did suggest if we saw a big performance from the Giants against the Cowboys that the handicap might get up to minus three. And I mean, they were in the game for a fair bit until a, a big fourth quarter from the Cowboys and obviously a defensive play at the end made it look like a, a comfortable win. The market is it's on the stable side. Not sure if it's our traders doing a good job or if it's just a game that, that people aren't really interested in. I know you're going to go watch the action live, but what are your thoughts on how it might play out? Yeah, this is going to be, um, it'll be fun to be there, but it's probably not going to be fun for a lot of people sitting on the couch watching. Uh, something to note here is the Jets' secondary injuries are becoming really a serious issue. And Daryl Roberts was announced as out earlier this morning. They now have three true cornerbacks on their roster available for this game. And one of them is already on the injury report. So to go along with five different starters injured in the front seven, um, none of them ruled out yet, but all questionable or worse, we're looking at the most injured secondary in the NFL. And Daniel Jones has not shied away from pushing the ball down the field. Uh, this offense has, for the Giants, has found a lot of success in the last couple of weeks, although that's really sort of hidden by the results. And as you mentioned, a defensive score at the end of that game on Monday night really made that score look more flattering for the Dallas Cowboys than it actually was. Same could have been said a week ago against the Detroit Lions for the Giants, where that was a bit of a misleading score as well. Um, so certainly potential for the Giants to move the football in the air. Uh, what really a bit concerns me with this over, and we have seen it move up a little bit, uh, the Jets' front seven, even with some of the replacement players that we've seen in the last couple of weeks, been extremely good stopping the run, which is something obviously with Saquon Barkley in the backfield that the Giants have wanted to implement, and that's a big part of their game plan. Pat Shermer, not necessarily the ideal game caller uh, in terms of putting together a game plan, especially on short notice. Uh, so with this being the the neutral field game, I guess of sense, so they'll be dubbed the Jets' home game, uh, but short week, not too much pressure aside from the media. Uh, it's probably going to be a game where Shermer sort of leans on some of his, his key guys. And I think that means we're going to see a lot of Saquon Barkley, which could be a lot of wasted play and effort for the Giants against this Jets front seven. Um, not too sure what we're going to expect from Sam Darnold. He, he seems to have in the last since his return, uh, he put together that fantastic game against Dallas, a spot where it was really expected and sort of from a schematic perspective that he was going to struggle against that defense. Then in the two-game senses against the Jags and the Dolphins, really two games that set up extremely well for him, he's put together absolutely horrific efforts. So um, I think the markets, in a way, as much as I liked the way this total or this point spread was going to ultimately open, I think the Jets getting disrespected just a little bit here. Not a game that's going to find my account. Um, although I agree with where the price opened just because of what was forced based on how betters were going to react for it. I can't help but think on a neutral field here that this price is maybe just a touch high for the Giants. And, and ultimately, from just a true number perspective, could be a little bit closer to a pickup. But uh, I completely understand why this game is at two and a half and why the traders ultimately opened it there. So we'll move on to the Atlanta Falcons at the New Orleans Saints. And we did suggest on this one that the handicap was going to get bigger. It's moved from minus 11 to minus 13 on the Saints. And the over-under is on the 51 that it opened at. Two teams coming off a bye week here, obviously completely opposite ends of the spectrum. The Cardinals have lost six on the bounce. The Saints have won six straight games. 
We had Bridgewater stepping in for Breeze and he obviously did well, but a big upgrade for them. I think you did expect him to, or you suggested earlier in the season that he, he might struggle this season, but it looks like he could have a field day against this Falcons pass defense and gone of those doubts maybe, but do you think he's he's got it in him to do some damage in this game? Well, we'll see. I mean, the Jets or the the Jets. I'm still worried about the Jets. Uh, the Falcons, they've all but quit on Dan Quinn, right? And we saw that for two weeks leading up to the bye. I think the entire team, the entire NFL fan base in the world was expecting him to be let go. I mean, that's the time when a coach is let go. So the new guy coming in has the extra week to prepare. The fact that it didn't happen is really the first time. And I was trying to think of another situation where a firing was going to be this obvious that didn't happen during the bye and nothing immediately springs to mind. So we saw this defense and much of the team really quit on Dan Quinn in the final two games leading into the bye. Now they come out of it and it was a really uninspiring week of practice so far to date. Uh, Players were free to do as they wish during the bye. Uh, We've seen that not work out well for other teams. You have to wonder uh, how much Atlanta has, especially in a game where they're likely going to be down two to three scores at some point uh, midway or into the third quarter against the Saints on the road against the a Saints team, too, that really sets up extremely well against them schematically. If you think all the way back to the preview book that we wrote for um, for Pinnacle and was posted, the big issue with the Atlanta Falcons was how they matched up against teams within the division specifically New Orleans, because the one thing that they do not do well is defend targets and uh, dual threat running backs. And with Alvin Kamara coming back to the Saints, uh, that's exactly what they're going to face. He had enormous games against them last year, and really little has changed schematically within this defense. You add in Latavius Murray, who's uh, found success in Kamara's absence. Uh, It becomes a game where the Saints can really not have to force the ball downfield which is not something we've seen Drew Brees do this season. He's obviously missed a number of games to injuries, but that's really my big concern with him. When he has to throw the ball deep and has to has to keep pace with his opponent, how does he look? And the only time he was really forced to do that was against Houston, and he got the benefit of a very soft zone defense that really gave him anything he wanted underneath. So this is a game where the Saints can really rely on their physicality, and I think that the move up from 11.5 to 13 certainly justified in this spot. It seems like this season we've kind of had a lot of a lot of teams have have had a lot of hype around them off the back of some big performances. I mean, obviously the Ravens are getting a lot of attention at the moment. For the last couple of weeks, everyone's been talking about the Saints. Do you think, with the Saints particularly, that that talk is justified? I think the Saints are extremely vulnerable just because of their secondary, first of all, which has really not been tested this season either, but. I'm concerned about Drew Brees as we get into the latter part of the season. Like what really gets unnoticed was his unwillingness to push the football deep. And in that first game, I think it was really highlighted. He had to come back and he was continuously underthrowing guys when he had to pick up bigger yardage down the field in that comeback effort. So they've been really fortunate to have these games play out the way they have through the first nine weeks. Not going to be tested this week, but I think as we get into the later part of December, and especially in the playoffs, they're going to have a price tag associated with them that's just way too high. So next up, we've got the Baltimore Ravens at the Cincinnati Bengals. It's another double-digit handicap here. The Ravens currently sitting on minus 10 after opening at minus 10.5. 
it did seem like the over-under was a bit on the high side at the start of the week and the market has bought into the under enough to see it drop from 46.5 down to 44.5. Kind of just mentioned it there, but a big win for the Ravens at the weekend. It's earned them a, a big handicap mark. Um, the general perception of this one seems to be that we've got one of the best teams in the NFL come up against one of the worst teams, but do the numbers back that argument up or is there too much overreaction in the Ravens after that win against the Patriots, do you think? I would say that this is the most inflated point spread of the year, and I don't think that I'm really going on a limb putting that out there. If we go back to mid-October, we already saw this game once, right? They played uh, in Baltimore. The Ravens hosted Cincinnati. That game closed minus 10, and there was some action on Cincinnati that brought that number down. Uh, towards kickoff, and the Bengals ultimately ended up covering the final there, 23-17, albeit with a late Bengals score. We're now seeing the exact same number with the venue flipped, and that's over the course of three weeks. So um, if you want to take that into account, if you want to say three field for or three points for the neutral, three points for the home field, that's sort of the standard way to do it. We're really looking at a six to seven point adjustment in just three weeks. And in that time, Baltimore went on the road to face Seattle and got away with a bit of a misleading win uh, where they relied on some defensive scores to take advantage of Seattle in that game. They had a bye, and then they beat New England in what was probably one of the most favorable spots for a team lining up against an opponent uh, in terms of the market as well that we've seen in quite some time. So really back-to-back wins for the Ravens. Uh, and all of a sudden, we're seeing a full touchdown adjustment within this number. So, obviously, extremely high. The way that they handled that win in New England also caught me a little bit off guard. Uh, it really felt like we were talking about a victory in late January in the playoffs. And in reality, it was week nine. And quite frankly, I think that the Ravens coming out of the bye probably left a little bit too much on tape. So, it'll be awfully interesting to see everything that they showed New England and everything that they showed the league, how that's going to transpire as we move into December and January within the playoffs. Uh, Cause I think that they really revealed a lot about what they have. And there were really talks from John Harbaugh in press conferences throughout the season where he said that he was holding a lot back and going into that New England game, he was hyping up how uh, the Patriots didn't know what he had coming. And it was a bit of an ego thing from his perspective. But again, we saw, really everything that the Ravens had in that game. And they took it as such. It was an enormous victory for them. Well-deserved. It was a dominating performance, uh, but awfully interesting to see them now laying an extremely big number on the road within the division at Cincinnati. A little bit difficult to get behind Cincinnati uh, with a backup quarterback starting now, Andy Dalton on the bench, AJ Green still uncertain if he's going to play. So all the issues still there with Cincinnati especially the issue of stopping the rush, which is what we know Baltimore wants to do. Uh, but this number, awfully huge for Baltimore. And the the overreaction on Baltimore, is it is it a case of obviously they, they did play well, they got a deserved win, but people have just built up the Patriots so much that if anyone came along and, and knocked them down, it would look great and, and everyone would be buying into that team. Is that, what, is that what's happened here? Oh, for, entirely. Um, I mean, we can look back on this game uh, in probably a couple seasons from now. I'm point to that being the spot. And we saw it within the market. We saw it within the game. Uh, it just checked so many boxes for 
everything to set up perfectly for the Ravens. And it exactly did. And now their, their price point is just ballooned beyond anyone's expectation. And I mean, to put this in perspective, we now have a team that's 17 points better than a divisional opponent. If we go back eight games for the Ravens to that playoff game against the Chargers, coming out of that game, as well as entering this season uh, before Flacco was de- departed for Denver, there was legitimate discussion amongst many fans, many betters, and a lot of the media that Lamar Jackson should be benched for Joe Flacco. And that was eight games ago. And now we're seeing this team at arguably the highest price point in the NFL. So it's amazing how things change just eight weeks later. Right, so we'll move on to the Carolina Panthers at the Green Green Bay Packers. Um, obviously, there's a, a relatively quick move here on the Panthers it dropped down from plus six to plus five and a half, and since then it's looked pretty stable. The over/under has seen a bit of an a bit of action, though. It's dropped from forty-eight to forty-six and a half. The Packers—they had a few. We kind of talked about their fortunate results, but I mean they were really disappointing against the Chargers last week. And the, at the same time, the Panthers went and got a good win against the Titans. Christian McCaffrey making headlines again. I think this one, at a, a very basic level, people see it as Rogers through the air versus the dangers of the Panthers on the ground. I know there's a lot more to it, so can you share your thoughts on it? Uh, not much. I think I should probably ask you the questions for this <laughs> one if you want to do it. Um, that's exactly what it is, right? It's the it's really the perfect matchup for Carolina in terms of what they want to face from a defense. Green Bay, 31st against a run in terms of rushing success rate, and that's come against a league average schedule. And a lot of that is really predicated from Mike Pettin, who continuously wants to leave smaller personnel on the field and play dime defense, which means he likes to have six defensive backs on the field. And he basically says, you're not going to beat us with the pass, but if you want to run the football, go ahead and do whatever you like. And when you have smaller personnel on the field, that means more space. And if there's anyone who's good at exploiting space running the football, it's Christian McCaffrey, who's the best at the NFL in doing that. Extremely elusive, extremely difficult to bring down. So it really becomes him behind his offensive line against a lot of dime looks. And the Cincinnati Bengals, or the Cincinnati Bengals, I'm still talking about that game. The Carolina Panthers are still going to be willing to give him the football at will. So it's going to be Christian McCaffrey against his Packers defense. And it's just a matter of can the Packers force negative plays and their defensive line 32nd in adjusted line yards and they force the third fewest negative plays so if the Panthers can continuously find positive yardage that sets them up extremely well and from a passing perspective I think that a lot of what they're going to show the Packers from a schematic perspective is going to be set up from their success running the football if they're if McCaffrey's having um, successful run after successful run it's likely because they bring in extra bigger bodies on the offensive line run more from two tight end sets um, but what that sets up well for Carolina is passes from two wide receiver sets. And that's really when they're the most dangerous because it brings the defense into the middle of the field and they have such speed outside with their receivers uh, that it really sets up well in single coverage uh, for Kyle Allen to be able to push the ball downfield and find his receivers in space. So I think this is a case where what Carolina wants to do, running the football, their ideal approach, actually benefits them from the passing game. And I think the Panthers find a lot of success off play action. As you mentioned, the Packers off a performance against LA, one of the more lopsided box scores you'll see, 
but one of the most validated lopsided box scores you'll see. There was really no noise within that game. It was just a complete dominance. And this is a Packers team, as much as I like their future prospects, half of their wins this season, they've been outgained in terms of yards per play. So awfully big price point for the Packers heading into this week. The Panthers are a team that we've circled here a couple times on the podcast. The traders have circled as well. Uh, this is another case of that, I believe, from early in the week. Not sure if their opinion has changed, but certainly at five and a half, uh, I think the Panthers worth a look. And now on to the Detroit Lions at the Chicago Bears. The Bears have dropped through the three for this, and they're now at minus two and a half on the handicap. We've seen a pretty big drop on the over-under as well. It's come down from an early 44 to 41 and a half, and, and people are still favoring the under on that one. Um, the Lions have been very reliant on Stafford. He's he's doing a good job of it at the moment. The the Bears are pretty good against the pass, though, so he's going to need to be on his game to to get Detroit over the line here. Judging by what we've seen from the market, it seems that Stafford should have some success in terms of the matchup, but it's strange maybe to see then that the points are dropping down. So some obvious, obvious strengths and weaknesses for the two teams, but which one do you think will prevail? Oh, I'm glad to hear that I'm not the only one that struggles saying success and strength in consecutive <laughs> words. It's a, it's a lot to handle uh, from a verbal perspective. Uh, it's interesting with the Bears. I really don't have too much to say on this game, but I think it, it bears talking about the number, no pen intended. Um, this is three weeks in a row where we've seen the Chicago Bears open at a price point that I think the majority of bettors would consider extremely flattering. If we think back to the game against the Chargers, they opened minus six and there was money against them and the Chargers ended up winning that game 17-16 outright as an underdog. Last week against the Eagles, that game opened Philadelphia five and a half, was bet down and the Eagles won 22-14. Now against the Lions, opens minus three. And the Lions have been a team that have drawn a ton of attention in the market uh, at many times, undeservingly so, just because of how misleading many of their scorelines have been to date this season. Uh, this is a game where the Bears open, and if you're looking at this price of minus three, where we saw this number first, really suggesting that these two teams are even. And it was really a, a number that caught me off guard a little bit for the third week in a row. And I think it caught the market off a little bit, but I think it shows that um, the traders at three with the Bears, still value uh, the potential upside that Chicago brings. And it's really just a case of the Lions playing well above their true rating and the Bears probably playing as far below as any team could possibly play versus their true rating. Um, certainly in my ratings, I have them at the very bottom of their range. So nothing but upside for Chicago. Is this the week where that upside comes through and we finally see a full team effort? I'm not so sure, but uh, there's certainly potential for Chicago to find success throwing the football for the first time in a while against the league's worst, worst pass rush of the Detroit Lions. So a game I'm staying away from, but I think the number pretty telling in, a, in and of itself. Yeah, I think if anyone had the over in our mispronunciations, they're going to be cashing that ticket already. Right, so now we've got the Miami Dolphins at the Indianapolis Colts and the traders opened the Dolphins at plus 11 and a half and they've now moved to plus 10 and a half. The over-under has steadily ticked up from 42.5 to 44. The market now seems pretty split, and it's it's difficult to see much more movement here in terms of the points. Um, Dolphins obviously riding high off their first win of the season last week. Uh, the, the Colts, probably the opposite, are going to be down in the dumps after a missed field goal in the last minute, costing the win against the Steelers. 
they're probably going to get back to winning ways here, but I think you suggested earlier that Fitzpatrick could be the key to the Dolphins maybe covering the spread. So are you still thinking the same here or have the traders got it nailed with the numbers? I think the traders were initially short with the total and the markets corrected that now at the key number of 44, moved up through the key number to 45. So another one of those midweek buybacks. This one a little bit earlier came back on Tuesday. We've been in the same spot since. First of all, let's just talk about the missing star power. I think that that's important. Miami without Preston Williams for the rest of the season. He was their best receiver to date. So that's a huge loss for them. The Colts will be without T.Y. Hilton, their best receiver. He's still nursing that calf injury. Probably won't be back for another two weeks. Paris Campbell also going to be out for this game. So another big receiver loss for the Colts. And then, of course, Jacoby Brissett, their starting quarterback. He's going to be missing as well. So... Uh, We're looking at three of the best receivers on the field, plus a quarterback, all going to be out of this game. Uh, That's pretty significant. I think that the quarterback, Jacoby Brissett, the dip from him to Brian Hoyer within this scheme, not too significant. If you're a team that can handle a quarterback injury well in the NFL, few of them can, but one that does it exceptionally well, the Indianapolis Colts. And that's just not based off of what we've seen from Andrew Luck to Jacoby Brissett and the record that's transpired. Uh, But that's really from just how this team plays. They've got a very strong offensive line that's great in pass protection. They're extremely well coached. Uh, They put together consistently game plan after game plan every week, tailor-made to fit their opponent's weakness. And and it's just a team that's very well disciplined all around. So not really putting too much uh, into the Jacoby Brissett to Brian Hoyer drop-down we're likely to see. Uh, Really not a huge adjustment from my perspective. As you mentioned, Ryan Fitzpatrick, when you're looking at a number this big, he's third in the NFL in intended air yards per throw at 10.2. He's also the most aggressive quarterback in the NFL. No quarterback this season has attempted more throws to receivers where the nearest defender is within one yard of that receiver. So, I mean, it's it's just throw the ball downfield, complete disregard for any turnover any potential bad play that could be made. Chad O'Shea having him throw the football 66% of the time uh, when they're trailing by more than eight, that jumps up to 78%. So the Dolphins, despite all of their issues, really playing the most aggressive style of offense of any team in the NFL the last three weeks. And you match that up against this Colts defense, uh, bottom third in the league for secondary and passing success rate. Uh, They don't force many negative plays as well. Uh, So this is a Dolphins team that can probably find success moving the football. Uh, It just becomes a matter of can they get stops against the Indianapolis Colts running behind this offensive line. One thing the Dolphins do extremely poor. They do a lot of things very badly, but their biggest weakness, stopping the run. They've got injuries to their linebackers. This is a defensive line that's 31st in adjusted line yards. They second worst in terms of forcing negative plays. So if the Colts come out and they want to protect their quarterback, likely Brian Hoyer, the backup starting, they're without their two wide receivers. The obvious game plan here is for them to run the football behind their offensive line, something they do extremely well. I think that they exploit that. I think the Dolphins play catch up. I mean, this is a game that goes back and forth, not necessarily the highest pace game, uh, but just a back and forth game where Miami's continuously taking deep shots. Colts are controlling the game. Indianapolis, five wins this season, combined 20 points. So 10 points, awfully large for them to be laying. But I think that this total, looking towards the over at anything better than 44, 
uh, is the look that I would feel most confident about. And now we're on to the LA Rams and the Pittsburgh Steelers. And we had some early interest in the Rams as they moved from minus three and a half to minus four. They're now back where they started. And the early indication with the over-under that was that it was going to tick up from 45, but it's actually gone completely the other way and now sits at 43 and a half. So the Rams have, have disappointed, I guess, a bit this season. And the, the Steelers have done pretty well considering the injuries they've had. We've talked a lot on here about um, Jared Goff struggling under pressure. Uh, this could be down as one game where the Steelers might get some some success off of that. So there we go again. That's five for the show. <laughs> um, it's an intriguing matchup. Uh, probably one of the most intriguing ones from the the full slate of games. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on it. Anytime you follow up some with success or strength, it, it just gets really difficult. Um, I think you're bang on. Again, another game where where you handicap this extremely well. The Steelers fourth in pass rush win rate, second in adjusted sack rate, first in pass rush grade overall, and this secondary since acquiring Minka Fitzpatrick, sixth in terms of passing defense success rate. And if we want to pick on Jared Goff, which is something I absolutely love doing when he's under pressure versus a clean pocket, so we'll compare it. So clean pocket, passer rating, 100. Adjusted completion percentage, 78%. Under pressure, 59.9 passer rating and 57% adjusted completion percentage. That's 25th and 26th out of 30 qualifying starting quarterbacks. So fourth, he's actually improved. Last year, he was far and away the worst. Uh, He's up to fourth worst in the NFL. But we also look at his struggles away from home. His yards per attempt drops from 8.3 in LA to 6.9 away. And his passer rating drops from 100 to 83.4. His two row games this year against Carolina as well as Cleveland were where he saw some pressure. And they were where he struggled the most. We'll leave that San Francisco game for last. But against uh, Carolina, uh, 4.2 yards per attempt. uh, And we really had some questions coming out of week one. Rebounded a little bit. Uh, But when we saw that San Francisco game two weeks ago, which was a comparable defense to Pittsburgh in terms of just true pass rush metrics, Pittsburgh actually, from a team perspective, grades out better than the San Francisco 49ers, which is a pretty extreme statement to make and a pretty big statement for a lot of betters to hear. But uh, when we just look at what Goff did against San Francisco, 3.3 yards per attempt, a QBR, which indicates what percentage of games quarterbacks would win with that performance. 1.1, which is about as low as you can possibly get. So you look at the Steelers and the pressure, they're able to generate three different guys inside of the top 35 on the defensive line, which rank uh, in solo pressures in the league. So you're looking at pressure coming at Goff from pretty well every single angle. Uh, This could turn into a nightmare game for the Rams on the road coming out of the bye and the London game, a spot that hasn't treated teams specifically specifically well uh, a big number to be laying on the road at four rightfully came down to three and a half Steelers certainly the look in this one I've got visions of you dreaming of Jared Goff's stats clean pocket versus under pressure it's just such an easy <laughs> target he's so easy to pick on it's too easy right we'll move off Goff on to the Minnesota Vikings at the Dallas Cowboys and it's probably been a tough one for the traders to, to call and judging by the market, they've done a pretty good job of it with the Cowboys at minus three and the over-under on 48. It's one that's likely going to attract a lot of money, but it's it's hard to see which way the market's going to move up until Sunday. And 
probably going to get a glimpse of one of the playoff games here. The Vikings would have been disappointed not to take advantage playing the Chiefs without Patrick Mahomes. The Cowboys seem to be on the rise again after dropping off a few weeks a week back weeks back. We're not having it today, are we? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, all, all the talk this season has been about how the run game is not really worth much, but it seems that that's been the key to success for the Cowboys. Do you think Elliot can get through the Vikings here or will they shut him out and stifle the Cowboys? So I'm really curious to see how the play calling is handled for this game. And the last big game we saw with Dallas, you could say Philadelphia to an extent, but I think that the Saints is the one that stands out for me. Uh, one of the more bizarre play calling efforts of the entire season. So now this is really the third go around for Dallas. They certainly corrected a lot of those issues in the big game against the Eagles. Let's see how they handle this Vikings defense. And I think the big thing to point out, Daniel Hunter and Everson Griffin on the Vikings defensive line are first and third in solo QB pressures created. Combined between the two, they have 103. So this is a Vikings defensive line that can get a ton of pressure off of the edges of the defensive line, which gets very interesting when the Cowboys get to running play action, as well as leaving Prescott in the pocket, which... If the Cowboys were smart, they would really look to target the Vikings defense, specifically in the secondary. Minnesota overall, they really have this perception among a lot of betters, myself included, of being this great defensive team coached by Mike Zimmer. Uh, they've built themselves into that profile over the last couple of years. But this year, they've struggled a 24th in both rushing and passing success rate defense. So down to down. Despite generating a lot of pressure, this team's really struggled at stopping opponents. And in the past four weeks specifically, if we want to look at their games against the Eagles, Lions, Redskins, and Kansas City with Matt Moore, so three pretty poor passing attacks outside of Detroit, no secondary has allowed more passes to grade successful in the last four weeks than the Minnesota Vikings. So a lot of concerns about the scheme that they're playing. If they choose to continue playing this aggressive press man coverage, the Cowboys certainly have receivers that can beat that coverage. It just becomes a matter of time of how Prescott can hold up in the pocket. If we look at him under pressure, not nearly as bad as Jared Goff, but comparing his clean number numbers, clean pocket numbers to uh, his pressure numbers, he drops from fifth all the way to sixteenth. So that's awfully interesting in and of itself, considering this matchup against the Vikings. As far as the Cowboys, their linebackers, some injuries there that you're going to have to keep an eye with. Uh, but they've ranked 21st against the run this season. Where it gets interesting, the Minnesota Vikings run a very difficult outside zone running scheme that gets a bit tricky to defend, uh, especially if you're lacking some continuity due to injuries. The Cowboys really haven't had to face an outside zone scheme yet this season. So this is going to be a game where their defensive game plan is going to have to be far more important than the one they put forth on offense. Uh, it'd be interesting to see how the play calling's handled, but I think from a side and total perspective, uh, the traders have nailed this one. 3-48, and 48, two pretty good numbers overall. Uh, if I had to sort of lean one way in this game, I'd probably be looking to the under just because I think both of these coaches tend to go a little bit conservative in these bigger games we might see a little bit more run and a little bit more wasted effort uh, than we would if both of these teams were to exploit the weakness and attack the opposing secondaries. And now we've got the Seattle Seahawks at the San Francisco 49ers and it opened up at the 49ers minus six. Um, not much movement on the handicap. The over-under has, however, gone up a bit to 47. 
A lot of people obviously talking up the 49ers. It's not just their 8-0 record. They have looked pretty good on both sides of the ball and probably another team where the run is causing the opposition too many problems. Their defence is going to have to step up here to, to deal with Russell Wilson and the way he's playing. So it looks like it could be a really interesting game. A lot of things to consider. I'm, I'm wondering if you're leaning one way or the other or is it another one where the traders have got it right? I'm very anti-Seattle going forward. I'm not sure I want to lay six with the 49ers. Uh, It's certainly the side that I would look to in this game. Uh, I'm not sure I agree with necessarily the movement in the total either. Now from 44.5, we've seen it move through the key number and is sitting on 47 right now. So a very significant move for the total in terms of what we're seeing across the rest of the board. Really one that stands out to me. Not only because this is a Monday night game and it's moving awfully early in the week, uh, but just the numbers that it's moved through. And I think when you're looking at either the side or the total, this game is entirely about game state. And if we're looking at a neutral game state, which refers to any plays that occur within a one score differential. So if the scoreboard shows one team leading by seven or less, both of these teams are running the football more than half of the time, which ranks in the top four highest run rates in the NFL. If it goes to a negative game state, the number for Seattle drops from 50% runs to 25% runs. In a positive game state, the number for both teams jumps to 63% or higher. So really the scoreboard is going to indicate a lot of what we see from both of these teams. If you're betting on the over, you would like to think that both of these quarterbacks end up getting a lot of touches and push the ball downfield if we're sort of circling the biggest advantage for both of these offenses. It's absolutely taking advantage of the opposing secondaries for for San Francisco. And then for Seattle, it's doing exactly what they want to do, running the football. The San Francisco 49ers secondary, number one in the NFL. I think that's a bit of a fraudulent number, but this is certainly a top five unit. Seattle Seahawks secondary, bottom six in the NFL, San Francisco 49ers rush defense, bottom 10 in the NFL. So if you're looking at this from just a game state perspective, if you're going to say, when is Seattle going to have the most success within their play calling, you would want them to be leading this game by more than a touchdown. I don't think that's going to happen, which means this is going to be a case of them playing at a neutral game state where they're not running to their most efficient level or playing catch up, which if they end up playing catch-up, as tempting as it might be to have Russell Wilson throwing the football, they're throwing from behind into the number one defensive secondary in the NFL in terms of numbers. So it's really a case where from Seattle putting up points in that perspective of their offensive output, it's a very slim chance that they get to that ideal game state where they can continuously move the football against the 49ers. And from the San Francisco perspective, it really sets up well. They like to run the football. Uh, they can have that success against Seattle for many of the three game states, but where they're going to have the most success is throwing the football with a bit of a lead. And we saw that against the Arizona Cardinals too, where they were able to expand the seven point lead to 21 extremely quickly and then sit on that lead for the rest of the game. So I think that it has to play out in a very specific way for Seattle to end up getting the cover, but also to put up enough points to put this game over the total and that's going to mean that they're going to have to get out to an early lead and we're going to have to see a lot of points quickly i just don't see that happening i haven't put anything in my account yet but i think that san francisco would certainly be the way that i look here and we have got 
one game left with the Kansas City Chiefs at the Tennessee Titans, and we've we've left it till last for good reason. There's still some unknowns around Patrick Mahomes, which is obviously why we haven't got any numbers on the board. I think the last was he took full part in practice. So for this one, as I said, there's there's no numbers to work with, but for betters listening into this, how do you break that one down? One game to go, uh, not on the board. I think we see this probably get to a touchdown uh, by the time we get to Sunday morning. Uh, probably going to see it open just a little bit shorter than that. A lot of sort of the soft early look-ahead numbers had this one like two and a half, three for the Kansas City Chiefs on the road, uh, which obviously reads a lot bigger considering that they are a road favorite. But uh, as we talked about earlier, Patrick Mahomes worth about 30 to 35% on the money line. And that was really validated in the last couple of games that he missed. With him coming back, I think a lot of these numbers sort of assumed that he was coming back. I, I don't believe that three, four Kansas City on those soft look-aheads was reflective of him not playing in this game. Tennessee has not been a stranger to the market for attracting money. Um, so I do think that this was likely if we were just going to price it with Matt Moore, we were probably looking less than a field goal for sure and probably closer to pick him. Uh, with Mahomes back, I really don't see any reason why this doesn't get to seven. Uh, I'm pretty negative on Tennessee overall, but I don't love betting into a game like this where there's a lot of question marks, to say the least. So historically, what we've seen with Kansas City this season, which might not necessarily validate the historically tag, but I guess over the last nine weeks, uh, they still have that inability to stop the run, which is exactly what, what Tennessee wants to do with Derrick Henry. And they've shown that consistently throughout the year. So uh, I, I think Tennessee at home on that surface can move the football on the ground with Derrick Henry. And that may just uh, reduce the variance overall in this game where touchdown becomes a little bit high. But uh, there's no discounting uh, this Kansas City Chiefs team right now, in my opinion, the best in the AFC. And that is our lot for the week. There's some really good games. We can now sit back, relax, and watch the action unfold. Great insight as always, Adam. Thanks for coming on. I hope you enjoy the game. And maybe, just maybe, the Jets might treat you to a win. It would be... If if anyone deserves a Jets win in person, I would put myself in that category. So hopefully it plays out that way. <laughs> if any of our listeners are interested in betting on the games from week 10 of the NFL, then head to pinnacle.com. Thanks for listening, good luck with your bets, and remember to please gamble responsibly.